arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. We can't stay here, it's not safe. He's out of control. Very clear what needs to happen. Based on the international bestseller. I don't want to know who I am anymore. From Universal Pictures. You got to get as far away from me as you can. What are you going to do? Danger. I have everything they put inside me. Is everything I ever learned. All of it. Born. I'm going to make it stop. The Born Identity. I'm a big fan of Jason Bourne and the Bourne series. The intense action and fear of being killed has the markings of an exciting film. Less intense and as fearful, Ross and his father struggle not just with being on the run from the Sol Domain, but with their internal battles with each other. And Jack Bragg and the Antarians, who disappeared from the Nebula planet, are now back with great bargaining power. Meanwhile, the crew of ESS-14 is assigned to an irrigation project on one of the Capellan planets. Muldoon, Kaczynski, and the crew, while working on Capella, intercept Lindy's original distress message, and they decide to locate Scavia Tangle. Ross learns astounding information about his father as they stumble into a remote sector of the planet and meet an unusual man. This may not be the final frontier of Captain Kirk in Star Trek, but Scavia Tangle represents the embarkation point for revacking all humans in the transposed sector of space. Episode 3, Galactic Command Reunion by Robert P. Fitton, begins at this very second. Chapter 14. Three days had not changed the air. The cold first chilled Ross when he and his father squeezed around the smaller buildings between the converging Zulof trucks near the city outskirts. They hiked over the rolling hills toward an extensive snowcake thicket and into an adjacent sloping valley's narrow river. For several hours they traced the river's winding course through the hills. At a tiny settlement, the old man suggested they steal the wood plank barrel raft leaning against a weathered clapboard cottage. Under the green moon, they pushed their flat raft down the river banks and pierced the bordering ice sheets. The fast-moving current took the raft away from the settlement. Ross's Zuloff helmet kept his head warm as he leaned against the barrels and the cold air numbed his face. He tensed his muscles so he wouldn't shiver in front of his father. The old man's face behind the face shield looked like a carved woman on the bow of an ancient sea vessel. So when the hell are you going to tell me the truth about this calamity? The old man raised his brows and turned. My orders were to procure personnel from your ship, assemble a team to infiltrate this planet for intelligence gathering. Why my ship? John, you must see the Antarian involvement. Rafak in space, revacking is a problem. Ross stood and balanced on the barrels as the raft pitched on the river currents. He stared at the long snow-laced mountains framing the widening river. His father looked up. 
My section reported that scurry vessels from ESS-27 were spotted near this system. The identity codes were not clear, nor conclusive. But you weren't sure until Saul confirmed it. You're so cagey. Do you know how much Caleb Zorier is packed in those sky pilot bays? The old man produced another one of his flashing lip smiles. That Aurea power output surpasses command sector output in droids before the parceling. And with revac ability, the old man panned ahead. Combined, they represent more of a threat than the Antarians did during the war. Who else knows about this? My section chiefs and Admiral McGuire. Unless word of Mr. Anton's signal reaches them, they won't be expecting my report for ten days. So we're trapped, marooned out here on this icebox planet. He moved back and sat against the barrels again. They'll send out an ESS vessel. Yes, they will send out an ESS vessel, said his father. He turned on his buttocks but wrapped his arms around his raised knees. That would be the logical command decision, but when? This may not even reach Admiral Ebert's office nor trickle into intelligence channels. An ESS ship must get here before Jack Bragg and the Antarian make their first move. Against Conchu. But they need more than ESS-27 for that. Ross stared into his icy eyes, visible through the visor. He knew what the old man was thinking, even though he hadn't said it. Unless my ship gets lured back here. Ducks on the pond. That son of a bitch Bragg. You were right. I should have killed both of them when I had them in the restraining harnesses. The bigger problem is the addition of another explorer spaceship to their cause. Bragg is very clever and a fast talker. He may have already secured deals for other vessels. This is not good. Ross studied the brilliant stars above the valley as they were taken downstream. The icy air fanned his cheeks. Frankly, I worry more about my men on the ship. And I worry about Mother, Shesh, Cappy, and Wayne dragged into this. It's imperative we get out a specific signal and get it out now. Not the signal Saul wants. Let Command deal with the SS-27. The old man spotted a red and white antenna mid-afternoon on a distant wooded ridge. Ross used the ice chunks for leverage near the shore. His father, already on the snow-packed shore, extended his hand. For a moment, Ross hesitated, then the old man's powerful grip took hold, lifting him onto the snow. Food is a necessity now, he said calmly as he shielded the transparency with his hands. He gazed across the spreading, bright fields toward the forested slope. The antenna was now silhouetted against the cloud-dabbed sun glow, and the aqua sky caused pink blotches across his eyes when he looked at the snow glare. The old man's voice was now authoritative, but reassuring in the frigid air. I figure 45 minutes to that ridgetop. Of course, we do risk the possibility there is no functioning transmitter. He marched into the field ahead of Ross. But we have no choice. I don't blame you for this. I understand what happened now. Commendable. Ross's face compressed in the cold and he slipped on the snow and ice as he chased after the old man. He shouted even before he was alongside his father. Is that all you can say, damn it? What do you want me to say? He asked, fixated on the antenna as if he were trying to will it into broadcasting. How about, that's all right, son, an honest mistake. I understand how you would blame Intelligentsia. 
His father stopped as the sun drenched the snow-skimmed field. His breath condensed as he spoke. You have a job to do, and so do I. If we ever survive this and avoid getting revacked, then you can rifle my brain and rip me apart psychologically. You don't get it. You don't plan for your feelings, Dad. Ross's eyes filled with every hurt he had felt from the old man all his life. His descending tears stung cold on his cheeks. He put his arms around his father's taut body and cried openly. He never expressed anything. Never. What did I do? The old man stepped back, but he did not look Ross in the eye. He pivoted in the snow and started toward the wooded ridge, but his pace was remarkably slower. Ross wiped his cheeks and once under the shield followed behind. Hunger made him fatigued, but the anger pushed him ahead of the old man up the ridge. His hatred of his father's indifference motivated his rapid climb through the deeper snow, and he scaled the upper slippery rock-covered ledge as if his life depended on reaching the top ahead of the old man. His father trekked in the woods below the ledge. Ross turned in the upper winds. He spotted the antenna, rusted at the joints, but firmly planted in the snow-sifted rocky top. Tired and lacking for food, he crunched his boots in the crusted snow along a rusty fenced-in area in the clearing ahead. He peeled back a portion of the metal web and stepped inside. Fifty meters from a green chain-link fence, the surrounding antenna had a white cinder-block building capped on the hilltop. He stormed up to the wooden door but could not twist the metal knob. Three short thrusts with his boot bust open the metal door from its bottom hinges and the lock snapped. The inner windows were dirt smeared and the metal frames were encased in pale green cinder blocks. A dusty white counter lined the corner walls under the window. Notebooks and papers, also layered with dust, were stacked next to antique instruments with glass needle gauges and a bulky microphone on a chrome stand. He turned in the stuffy cold air and wondered when someone was last up here. A large clock's black hands and red minute hand had stopped just before 6.30. He blew the inner remnants of warm air into his hands and rubbed them briskly. Damn. Antiquated technology, said the colonel from outside. He entered the room as if he were now in command and veered up to the equipment. But we can use this. No power. The old man lifted his left brow and peered through the smudged window. He said nothing as he retreated outside. Ross flipped open one of the black notebooks. Pages inside referred to the mechanical operation of the equipment and contained page after page of circuit schematics. The papers were logs, handwritten in black ink with dates from 25 and 30 years ago. Ross studied each dust-rimmed gauge but was unfamiliar with the old-style technology. As the stinging air whipped through the damaged door, an engine ignited briefly outside. He looked out the dirty window. About 20 meters away, the colonel pulled a cord upward and the engine caught. He opened a panel above the enclosure. Instantly, the clock's minute hands swept past 12 and some of the instrumentation hummed and the metal baseboard heaters creaked. Russ pressed his lips. His father rounded the doorway and shoved the unhinged door back in place. As the dusty heat rose into the room, he approached the instruments near the microphone and manually flipped several switches. The gauges lit and the needles moved upward on the designated scales. We'll use this old-style recorder and repeat this message to command, he said, powering up the reel-to-reel -reel recorder. 
albeit at a very slow progressing frequency. Ross did not want to admit the old man's prowess and the ability to seize the initiative. What kind of signal are we talking about? Weak by our standards, but scanners somewhere will pick it up and boost it. He backed across the room and yanked the heater switch. What are you doing? Five liters of petrol for that generator won't go very far with wasted heat. Ross felt as if he were a child again as his father crossed the room. The old man slid off the tape recorder reels and used a pair of black scissors from a desk drawer to cut a piece of recording tape about a half a meter long. He reattached the reels to the machine and then checked the cut tape's length around the reels. He snipped it again. He connected both ends with a clear, transparent tape, also from the drawer. He set the loop tape around the reels, pulled the microphone from the instruments, and inserted the jack into the recorder. With no preparation or script, he spoke clearly into the microphone. This is Aristothenes, 24 Humana, 2154 Galactic Time. To all Galactic Command ships, Scavia Tangle has been taken over by a half-Cybac, Saul, a.k.a. Philip O'Hara, escaped from the Pegasus Marichelli Polonis project, with Dr. Victor Silkowski. Silkowski is incognito, but the planet population is mostly revacked into Cybac beings. Planet has the ability to tug-drag. Saul is working with the Antarian Serban Rafik and Commander John Bragg. They all have intentions to revac and conquer the Galactic Command territory. Aristothenes out. Aristothenes is a code name for Admiral Bender, the longest sitting council member. Are you using Bender's code or... I am Bender, son. He checked the loop and seemed satisfied as to the message length. Then he looked closely at the other instruments. For ten minutes, he connected the colored plastic-coated wires from the recorder to the other rear panels of the boxes. He mechanically turned the recorder lever and the tape played his message on a tiny black metal speaker. The transmitter gauge needles move with the recorded modulation in his recorded voice. I would say there's enough petrol in this message, providing there are no mechanical failures for a repeat of three to five days. All these years on AC frequency during the war discussing classified information. I don't believe it. You accepted responsibility for Rafek escaping Marigot. It wasn't your fault, but I admired your loyalty. Only Aristothenes knows that. Officially, Rafak escaped. Ross furrowed his brow. You're incredible. I have to be. The old man's head perked up like a dog hearing something in the woods. He rushed to the window, but it was locked in place. Troops, we have to get out of here? Now. The old man moved his hand up his sleeve and smashed the rear window glass. He scraped the glass edges with his bloodied uniform-wrapped hand and then dove into the frozen air. Ross flew through the opening and rolled over into the snow. The old man was already at the edge of the woods when Ross broke into a sprint. Machine gun fire shook the shack as the old man descended the tree-lined slope in huge leaps. The gunfire faded when Ross reached ground level at the snow-spread fields, but his father crouched and caught his breath inside a series of ice-packed boulders. Ross, breathing heavily, saw the antenna tilted at the top of the hill. He spoke through his rapid breaths. There, they're toppling it. The old man nodded, but didn't say anything as his breathing stabilized. Ross realized his father was older than his persona. 
and the trek down the slope had taxed his energy. That message got out, maybe two times, at a lower unbooted frequency. Not good. Ross nodded as he scanned the fields, rolling down toward the high alligator snow mountains. He was about to speak when rapid gunfire bursts erupted up the antenna hill. The old man took one deep breath and then pointed toward the woods, several kilometers across the field. Mortar shells and whizzing projectiles preceded a quick explosion in the woods. His father arched his back and marched to the forest edge along the field. The antenna slowly tipped and crashed onto the treetops. Ross jogged into the snow, several dozen meters behind the old man. He not only wondered who had wrecked the antenna, but he was unsure where he and his father were headed, or how they would get word out to command. Chapter 15 Kuczynski hated everything about Capella 14. As he stomped from the orange supply hut and onto the towering earthen dam, the capellant sunlight heated his fatigues again. He looked through his mags toward his people working with the capellians at the lower level. They were formulating the final calculations with Polonis prior to the construction of this portion of the planet's irrigation network. He longed to be back in space, moving somewhere in a controlled environment. Although they had only arrived less than a week ago, he felt as if he were mired on this rock for months. The dust stuck in his nose and mouth as he hiked down the pathway and looked out over the drained, brown-crusted lake. Soon they would fill it with water to the horizon and solve the irrigation problem. Then they could get out. Hey, Crutch, said Muldoon as he poured water over his head, drenching his dark hair, beard, and blue fatigues. Hot enough for you? You have a way with words, Frank. This stinking place is more than hot. Give me some of that water he said as Muldoon handed, him, handed the blue container to him. Oh, don't get your dander up, Crutch. We have the network outline. All we have to do is specify the pumping equipment. Yeah, well, just do it, said Kaczynski, and then he drank the water. We can't just do it. Without the proper power and tolerance levels, we could blow it sky high. They could have everything in place and then just have an equipment failure. At this point, Frank, so what? Then you get called back here, said Muldoon. They headed toward a faded olive field hut. The dark-skinned Gil Webb stepped through the opposite entrance. Kuczynski faced his friend. Hey, look at that tan, Gil smiled. We need some more puncture valves for the ship. You look wasted, Crutch. I'm not coming back here. Record my words. I'd rather spend time in an Antarian bovar cell than come back here. They should have just sent in an engineering team. Nobody in the sector, said Gill, sweat beating up on his chocolate forehead. Have some water, Gilly, said Muldoon, and Kaczynski handed the container to him. Gilly drank the water and then raised the jug to his lips again. Kaczynski studied the readouts on the portable viewers. A red schematic detailed the dry lake. Proposed pathways to the settlements down south were highlighted blue. Polonus, recommendation. About what? asked Polonus. About the project, you boob, shouted Muldoon. Is that what you're looking for, Commander Kaczynski? Asked Polonis. Yes, I want to know when we can get the hell out of here. If we wait for the equipment, it could take months. I suggest we leave Mr. Muldoon here to wait for the shipments. Maybe you'd like some water, you confined brain crate, 
Muldoon grabbed the water container from Gil Webb. I do not require water, and as to your threatening my ground units, I must remind you that my processing systems are aboard ESS-14. That's a good place for them, said Muldoon, mumbling. You had better hope they never construct a Polonis Cyvac. Yeah, then I'd be on trial for Cyvac murder, answered Muldoon, and he lifted more water to his lips. Let's get the specifications done for this area of the dam. We'll bring down the valves for tomorrow, said Kaczynski, and he walked to the far side of the hut. He put the mags to his eyes. A more lush area sprang up around a small river where the dry landscape swept toward the blue distant mountains. Many such settlements, housing thousands of people, already existed down this valley to the dry regions to the south. Diverting the water properly would bring a new life and possibilities to the inhabitants. As he stepped outside the hut and onto the dried grass, the sun sizzled his skin. The earthen dam, constructed 55 years ago, was structurally sound. Crunch! shouted Muldoon. He faced the bearded Muldoon back inside the hut. What's the matter, you run out of brewmac, Frank? Then he looked back at the dam. Crunch, you better get back here! Ah, oh, what the hell is it now? He asked as he spun in the dirt. It's the ship! Rip! Rip is on frequency! said Muldoon as Kaczynski re-entered the hut. Well, put him on, he ordered and stood with one hand on his hip. Crutch. Rip, tell me we just got orders to leave this frying pan. Gil Webb smiled from the readouts. Maybe I just picked up a low uh, frequency message from Lindy. Yeah, so what? He exhaled and wiped the sweat from his brow. Play it. Everyone gathered around the compact speaker. Conchu base, Conchu base. This is Commander Hugh Lindsay, ESS-14, on downtime Earthstar vessel. I am speaking to you from Earthstar vessel 2312, Recreational Registry. This is a priority one distress signal. We require your assistance on a craft in danger, craft PR-17. PR-17 is on a divergent course from the Earth Star vessel, traveling at speeds beyond its capacity. We require immediate rescue assistance from your outpost, ESS-14, or any galactic command vessel in the area. Kuczynski stood upright. Mr. Ripka, prepare for breakaway. Pack up your gear, boys. We're heading back into space. Polonus echoed on the compact. I think you're letting your own feelings get in the way of a decision, Mr. Kaczynski. Well, you're damn right he is, you bag of bolts, said Muldoon, nodding his head at Kaczynski. Or maybe you just don't care that John and Lindy are headed into that mess. Rip, Kaczynski called back to the ship. Yes, sir. Notify command we're going after John and his brother's vessel. Where the hell is Scavia Tangle? Unfortunately, Scavia Tangle is between us and the nearest command base at Conchu. Do we risk alerting the Sol? Send it. And what if command says no? You don't have any orders. How do you justify chasing John and Lindy, Crutch? asked Muldoon. I don't. Chapter 15 Kuczynski was never more happy to leave any planet. Lindy's distress call had given him the excuse he needed to get out of the Capellan sun. He sat in Ross's console chair and spoke to Gil Webb 
about sending construction engineers back to the planet at a later date. Polonis, there must be data on that individual named Saul of the Saul Domain. Nothing on record. No speculation. You're in the tank now, Crutch, said Webb as they reached the station. Since we've been on that course for a full day with no authorization. Took a big chance, said Rip, opening his dark eyes. I'll take the heat. We have to have some latitude out here. I don't need command permission every time I go to the bathroom. What if they tell you no? For the next two weeks, they'll think you're still back on Capella 14. Then you'll have to have a new security chief, Gilly, he said, turning to Rip. Message on your viewer, Rip. The green tube door slid open and a solemn Muldoon stepped from the conveyor car. Come on in, Frank, said Kaczynski, smiling. I'll let you join my court-martial party. Yeah, well, don't laugh. When they find out what you've done, I'm a day out of port and heading towards Scabia Tangle. The fact there's been no further word frightens me. This whole thing stinks, and there's no record of this Saul. John's father is a full intelligentsia service colonel, said Muldoon. Whatever that entails. Exactly. I must officially report that you are operating without official orders, said Polonis on the compact. Oh, shut up, said Muldoon. No tact. No tact at all. I am required to notify commander of this vessel to pending violations. Good. You've done your job, said Muldoon, turning to Kaczynski. Rip grinned at Kaczynski. They'll bust your ass. Anybody else want to voice their opinion? I don't see anybody questioning my decision. Excuse me, Mr. Kaczynski, said Polonis on speaker. Ah, here comes the two-cent lecture, said Muldoon, folding his hands and leaning on the side support. Maybe you will listen to this one, Mr. Muldoon, said the Polonis. Mr. Kaczynski, even at this juncture, you would stand guilty of insubordination before the command military court. Penalty is court-martial and dishonorable discharge. This machine is starting to get on my nerves, said Muldoon. Five years at a level six rehab colony. Kaczynski rubbed his knuckle on his lower teeth. Polonis, I concur with Muldoon. Shut up. Is that an order? Shut that overloaded cell twister down, said Muldoon. What are you going to do? asked Rip, looking up. Kaczynski exhaled. I'm contemplating a contingency alert. He turned to Webb. Rip's brown eyes remained wide as he slowly nodded. Come on, Gil, let's talk this over. Webb trailed Kaczynski to the conveyor tube. They entered the car quickly as if the ship were under attack. Kaczynski looked at him briefly and then spoke to Polonis. Propulsion, voyage speed, prepare for emergency speed. Crotch, uh, you, you need to get back to Capella now. Acknowledge your mistake and use your command connections to get out of this. Polonis only looks at things from a narrow perspective. Sentence times, violations, statutes. I know you have the connections within Intelligentsia. Oh, I think this is more than just Lindy and John in trouble. The conveyor car raced back along the walking corridors. What concerns me, Gilly, is the fact that PR-17 was moving past emergency speed. That is insane. With Lindy and John following, Wish I had more information, anything. Do you really want to head into this? You could be jeopardizing the ship. 
This is an act of war. I don't know what the hell this Saul domain is, but they've gone after two command officers and probably an intelligentsia officer. There are things I can't reveal about John's father. I can only tell you that his being captured by this Saul domain warrants us going to Scavia Tangle. What's so important about him? Not what's so important about him, but that he's more important than anybody realizes. He stared at the passing observation deck. Polonis, emergency speed at the earliest opportunity, then call a contingency alert. We're going after them. Chapter 17 In the early morning cold, losing stamina and with only food from a few berries, Ross trudged with his father through the woods. Steam ejected like a smoldering geyser out of his nose and mouth every few seconds and clouded the bare branch trees. The cold gnawed his face and his trembling hands embarrassed him. Pain! Pain! Pain makes the man raw and cold, according to Edward Talbot, said his father. Who? Edward Talbot, Sigmar Berenices, 2106 Galactic Time. A man who was in prison for 16 years. Pain breaks the man raw and cold. Lost in dying embers of his soul. Grace, where's thy comforted lie? Sudden left his heart to die. On the morn begins the raven sweep. Child of God swavers, mournful weep. Pain the remainder, pain the sword, pain the teacher, pain forlorn. Well, Talbot never came to Scavia Tangle, did he? Said Ross, shivering. The old man broke into a grin. We just keep moving. Ross caught the smoky drift from campfire somewhere in the valley. Through a smeared pink glow in the silhouetted branches, a small settlement along an iced-edged river bend appeared between the rugged tree trunks. The old man was a reluctant first to move forward. A woman wrapped in heavy sable garments stoked a fire below wide metal cauldrons suspended on chains over rising flames. Orange sparks disappeared into the pink sky. More people were gathered around the stick-supported tents, and the lure of food cooking persuaded the old man to approach the camp. Several women and men scattered as children first pointed as they left the woods. Children first pointed. Several men and women scattered as they left the woods. As Ross's boots crushed the snow, a tall man, rugged with blonde hair protruding from his wrapped head, walked unarmed ahead of the others. His blue eyes radiated hope and a steadiness. He spoke the English of an educated man. I send you the blessing of Elias. Thank you, said Ross. The old man looked the stranger over. I extend the same to you. He smiled broadly, but his brow furrowed. I see thou swear the uniforms of Saul's domain. Appropriated uniforms, said the old man quickly. We flee Saul and his Zuloff. He nodded and extended both hands, cupping them as if he were about to scoop up water from a bucket. I am Akrov. I am a bequeather of the group. We've only been here a week and also flee Saul. I'm John Ross and this is my father. I am Colonel Ross. Akrov grasped both his huge hands around Ross's hands and then the old man. Thus are both welcome here. Thank you, Arkov, said Ross. Forces are less than a day away. They destroyed an antenna. Faust is not to worry. The old man stepped forward and crossed his arms. Well, you'd better worry, mister. Saul is after us, and if he finds the settlement, he'll probably kill you all. Faust's fears are unfounded, Colonel Ross. Saul has no reason to go this far inland. 
This planet, said Ross, still shivering, it was settled by the miners and your people, the Elias cult. He motioned them forward. Let us give thou swamp and nourishment. Ross followed them closer into the larger tents. The cult members steered as he and his father were brought aside, and the warmth slowly stung his skin. Arkov faced a group of young men and women inside around the fire. Food for our guests. We are most appreciative, said the old man. To answer your inquiry, the miners are revacked and the cult lives scattered. I arrived here six years ago. The revacking had already begun. I was once a professor of literature at the Algath University. A prized position, sir, said his father. Yes, but I found Elias, and I began to await the Bane Orvis. I don't understand. The Messiah. The Elias believers faced the Red Star, Arcturus, the last known reporting of the sighting of the Bane Orvius, 6,000 old Earth years ago. They handed Ross a warm metal cup filled with broth. He let the steam rise against his face before he sipped the spicy liquid. Then you all await the Ben Orvius. The Ben Orvius will appear again, it is certain. And what of this planet? Saul wishes domination and complete revacking of its inhabitants, said his father. Resistance is not a part of Elias' beliefs. We wish our enemies no harm. Then you will be killed, said the old man. Better to die than to relinquish our beliefs. I have met the resistance leader and know him well, and I have tried to convince him to avoid death. His father evidenced a grin as Arcos' philosophy were amusing in some way. Fighting sometimes reduces death. I am a commander of an ESS vessel, Arkov. Ross lifted the container to his lips and took in more warm broth. Yes, and as an ESS commander, thou art looking strategically, no doubt, at the Sigma Ataris system. Ross smiled and the old man looked perplexed. I admire your insight, sir. That is exactly right. Millions are at risk and command itself becomes at risk if Saul expands his domain. And we fear Antarian involvement. I do not know of any Antarians on Scavia, but we will mediate and recite the words of Elias. But as a practical matter, and hopefully with some foresight, I will send emissaries to Silkoski. Where is he? asked the old man quickly, as if Arkuf possessed more information. He is not far. He fears for his life because he has defied Saul. He resists. Can he send a signal, preferably booted to one command? asked the old man. I do not know. Maybe he will. Arkoff turned. Jessic, send your best men. We need a place to meet Silkowski. I will have them leave now, said the rusty-bearded man. Arkoff smiled and faced Ross and his father. In the meantime, I offer thou swamp in the hearth of our hearts. We shall talk of peace and the struggle within our hearts. The sparks cracked off the huge, glowing pit logs near the river, and the heat warmed Ross's Zulof clothes. While the sect was involved with evening prayers in the surfec, Ross had talked with the old man for over an hour. He threw a stick into the fire, crackling the embers and sending more sparks into the night. So just, uh, just tell me, answer the question. Why have a family and be an intelligentsia? The old man stared into the fire. Ross shook his head and laughed. It won't even address it. Come on, Admiral. 
There's no one to report to tonight. We don't even know if our family is still human. Unknown. I am an ESS commander, yelled Ross as he stood. I am on duty. I don't want to have a family to be exposed to that. The old man stood in firelight, covered his grisly face as he spoke in a lower voice. Every person has his own agenda, John. Your mother and I had an arrangement. And you're putting your standards on me. My time in the intelligentsia has been one of service as yours has been as an ESS commander. Oh, spare me the platitudes, Colonel, and that self-congratulatory rhetoric. I needed you and so did everyone else. Seemed to have turned out all right. Ross's eyes filled. You just don't get it. I said I needed you there. The old man sat on the log again and balanced his elbows on his thighs. Sparks swarmed upward with the yellow twisting flames. Ross kicked the dirt and stepped away from the warmth. Arkhoof and the others retreated from inside the large surfect. Ross was still angry about his father's attitude as he approached the men. We expect Jasky to return soon, said Arkhoof. He studied Ross's face and then he looked toward the fire. Come walk with me. Sure. He motioned Ross away from the light, and soon the river's roar interrupted the night's silence. The stars brightened over the inner hills, and the moon had not yet risen, but ripples materialized on the river currents. What do you believe, Ross? I'm a centrist. I learned the philosophy on Mark of Four in my youth. Arkov stopped a few feet from the crusted riverbank. You and your father are far apart in heart and soul. Very perceptive. What does your centrist philosophy say to that? Ross smiled and gazed at the sky dome. That every point has its consciousness in a central location. That focus brings forth truth. And where is your focus? Ross half smiled and raised his brow. Mount Nawadic on Markov. I use my ship's cambion to travel there often. Find the truth in matters of the mind and the heart. And when you do not have your vessel, perhaps you should meditate on that mountain, said Arkov. Why would you, a member of the Elias sect, tell me to meditate as my philosophy dictates? Ross, all philosophies, all beliefs radiate to a higher consciousness. Your centrist philosophy is not wrong, nor is any belief. It's in the being of all consciousness. What do you mean, higher consciousness? We are within what we know and what we perceive. The limitations of this world, the limitations of physical reality. But there are upper extensions of this perception, where Elias dwells between them all. No one will know without trust that he dwells, and thus will return to this reality. You believe that with great conviction. I admire men who stand on what they believe. Your father, he is what he is. It is you who must understand, not he. How do you know what I just said? I am only a conduit. Understand, Ross, understand. Across the encampment, someone called for Arkov. Both men started back to the fire's flames and were informed that Jaffrick was back in the main surfic. Ross did not see the old man by the fire. He found it difficult to understand his father's reasons for anything, and accepting him was sickening. Arkov flipped the syrup flaps. Jaffick 
ate across the tent and was already talking to the old man. What do you hear, my friend? Sokoski will see us. A courier will arrive during the night, and we will travel by day. He has expressed a great interest in speaking with these command men. I feel that Elias is with us. Chapter 18 Saul did not spot Rafex SAV above the mountains or above the water, nor did the truck-mounted radar screen indicate the craft's presence. Implemented, the directive shall be. A cluster of them we have slotted outside the city, Saul. We have. Five square city blocks no longer exist, they don't. Saul puffed on his cigar and looked the lieutenant in the eye. No, Ross, no, Ross, Ross, Silkowski, shelters. He strutted from the jeep and scrambled up the adjacent green and brown tank. When he was atop the turret, he raised both hands and his voice seemed amplified in the colder air. Ross, where is he? Ross, Rafik wanted. And the other Ross, inland we shall march. Campaign, skinny and tangle, destroyed it shall be. Saul raised the mags, and a flared white vessel stamped with blue command rings and designated as an SAV from ESS-27 swept out of the atmosphere over the mountains. He jumped from the tank and ran to his jeep. The point, the point, in our midst the Antarians are. The little white-haired Antarian in command blue fatigues walked down the ramp. His red eyes glowed even in the sunshine. Three drac weapons were strapped over his chest, and at least a dozen tiny Antarians, all armed with drac rifles, accompanied him onto the planet. Commander Bragg wore a red day suit, looped with a sash around the waist, and sipped a green liquid from a silver goblet as he emerged from the craft with two human women. Rifek had a high, annoying voice in a lispy Antarian accent. His scar down to his neck gave him a Sivak appearance. Your signal said Ross and his father are trapped in the heartland. You had better respect Ross. Trapped they are. Kill all them we will. Why don't you just have them in custody if they are trapped? Trapped they are. Signals must be sent. Must be sent. No, that is not necessary, said Rafak as he moved closer to Saul. We have detected a message, but the shortness of the duration did not allow us to fix on the frequency. Colonel Ross sent a signal to Galactic Command. Understand, I don't. You fool. An earlier signal by Ross's second-in-command requested help. Let them send their ships, and we will be waiting behind the ninth Tingle planet. Then we will add to our fleet, and with their vessels... Whatever ship they send will be taken off guard, said Jack Bragg, holding the goblet. He smiled as the woman with long blonde hair kissed his cheek. Rafak understands. With two ASS vessels and a boatload of Caleb's Zoria, we will begin our galactic revac. My people will be avenged for the war. Humans will be revacked easily. It will take time. First Conchu, and then the power will grow with conquered territory. Parceled your people were. Into another galaxy they are, said Saul. For now... You have one-dimensional thoughts, my Cyvac friend. I have the high morals of my people. It doesn't matter where they were sent. I have a duty as an Antarian to perform under the Avorkton Code. Ross, you let live? I don't care about Ross, only his vessel. If we need to keep him alive to get to his vessel, we will. 
I would scan this planet, but I will not chance taking ESS-27 away from the shield of the ninth planet. All our scans indicate Ross's ESS vessel has moved out of the Capellan system. Revac and implement. I have every intention of revacking every centimeter of my enemy's territory. I will live by the Avarktan Code. Only those who are the strongest will survive. Kuczynski had just finished a heavy workout in the smaller room adjacent to the main recreation room. His decision to go to Scavia Tangle now weighed heavily on his psyche. Command would bust him, but he was sure he made the right decision. John's father, surreptitiously one of the highest officials in Galactic Command, was taken against his will into the domain of a rogue named Saul. Mike Pfeiffer dipped his head in the doorway. I uh, heard you were working out. If you're looking for a sparring match, Doctor, forget it. What I'm looking for is John and Lindy. Pfeiffer was taller than Kaczynski. While the private Earth Star Vessels Trail leads behind Cappy Ross's ship to Scavia Tangle, that's where we're headed. He changed the panel readout and showed all 12 planets and the depicted ship's trails in orange to the fourth planet. Why Scavia Tangle? Well, I support your move chasing Lindy's signal. Good. You can be a character witness at my court-martial. Kaczynski rubbed the towel over his head and then chucked it toward the cleaner bin. You know as well as I do, Ebert will have my ass. Why would Cappy Ross's ship be taken away at that speed? Kaczynski motioned him into the walking corridor and they started toward propulsion. He thought about Ross's father's real identity as Admiral Bender. Yes, that is the question, Doctor. A private vessel is incapable of emergency speed. And that ship went beyond emergency speed. With John and Lindy chasing it. That's right. They requested help. Very simple. Outside the room, Muldoon turned from the propulsion console below the coils. The scattering linear glow from the Eldridge coils cast a subtle red light over the upper walls. I'll be in the Metafact, said Pfeiffer. We'll keep you informed, Michael, said Kaczynski. He walked briskly to Muldoon as Pfeiffer headed down the Metafact corridor. What do you think, Crutch? asked Muldoon, standing. About what, Frank? He asked and took a drink out of the side panel. I'm getting a bad feeling about all of this, said Muldoon. Webb just checked command intelligence tracking. Colonel Ross gave no justification to command that he was on any type of mission. Intelligentsia needs no justification, Mr. Muldoon. Kuczynski changed the screen to a forward scan. Mr. Kuczynski to the Locus. Mr. Kuczynski to the Locus. Said Gil Webb over the speaker. Kuczynski here, what is it now? He asked. Crutch, we're finally picking up reading from the Tangle system. Readings? What kind of readings? Put on general viewer, said Kuczynski, leaning over the console. A red schematic appeared across the stars, pinpointing the planet Scavia Tangle. Readings were not exactly accurate at the distance, and indicated a two-minute coil Caleb expulsion trail that was dissipating, but tracing it down to the fourth planet. Definitely looks like a Caleb expulsion trail, and it is dissipating. Does to me. Does to me. There is a third trail, very faint. Point of origin is unknown, but sufficient to be an old ESS trail. ESS trail? So this game gets complicated. I keep asking, why Scavia Tangle? Polonis came on the speakers. Planet is listed as a haven for the Elias set and mining concerns. Chinsky clenched his fist along his jaw. 
And we're the only ESS ship in the area, correct? Yes, sir. Unless the other trail winged from an ESS ship. And Cappy Ross's vessel had no emergency speed, said Muldoon. Check your figures, Mr. Muldoon. It is possible to add such a capacity for a few hours' duration. You are not paying attention. Don't tell me I'm not paying attention, you plugged-in memory surge. We're only talking about a few hours. Shut him off, Crutch. Kaczynski smiled. I can't shut off a ship's Polonus, Frank. Maybe you will be more accurate next time, said the Polonus. Oh, shut up. Kaczynski could see the tops of Muldoon's ears growing red. Rip. The short-haired Rip turned in the communications chair. Yes, sir. Rip, sound battle alert status. Battle alert? Asked Polonus. Yes. It's that third vessel that bothers me. We have no definitive status of that trail. Polonus' recommendation is standby alert. Battle alert remains, said Kaczynski. Good move, Crutch, said Muldoon, but shut that Polonus off. Blue lights flashed and the alert sirens sounded for half a minute. Kuczynski turned to Muldoon as personnel flared across propulsion and into the sky pilot base. Kuczynski stared at the scabia tangled depiction. You better slow this crate down. Evasive action and emergency speed can get messy. Perry Fields just can't adjust that quickly, said Muldoon. I'm aware of that, Mr. Muldoon, he said, tightening his brow. Polonis, time until we reach the tangle system. 36 hours. And what are we supposed to be prepared for? asked Muldoon. Kaczynski faced him. Prepare for whatever your little heart desires, Mr. Muldoon. Chapter 19 Saul hovered near the portable revac. For a few seconds, a bright orange light glowed within the supports, and the captured sec men from the heartland exited with the blank Cybac appearance. Saul faced Rafik. Stop us, they can't. None of these revacs act as our operatives on the planets, said the squeaky voice centurion. The Evorkton has been evoked. Humans will be the victims of their own Polonus research and their precious refined aurea. My people will rise again. In place, Silkowski's directive remains. Revac, consciousness, and implement. Those in the way, destroyed they will be. I admire your Dr. Sielkowski for instituting such a directive. No, shouted Saul. He banged the console and drew his gun. Trusted, he cannot be. Broke his own directive, he did. Kill, he will be. Why do you brandish the weapon? Do not issue the challenge, Saul. It would be a regrettable move. I will now inform you of our detailed plans for the command base at Conchu. Saul wanted to kill him, but the directive had priority. Listen, I will. That is wise, said the Antarian in his high-pitched voice. His red eyes glowed and his little green saw teeth were exposed as he spoke. After we take Conchu, we will begin our efforts to appropriate the Sigma Antares system into the Antarian Conclave. Galactic Command will face their own humans, revac and willing to fight to the death. Planet by planet, the revac humans will grow in numbers. I will avenge Marigalt. I will avenge my people's defeat. Reports we have. 
Rostin is intelligentsia, father. A threat they are. Refak produced a howling Antarian laugh. Ha 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 ha! Ross is irrelevant. Silkowski is irrelevant. I am preparing to set a course for Sigma Ataris with the smaller revac domes in all of my Aurea. My suggestion to you, my Cyvac friend, is to join me now. No. Sweep the SAV. Sweep the heartland. Elias sect and Ross decimate I will. Bragg stepped away from the woman. Rafak, you underestimate Ross once at Marigold. I know this man. Perhaps Saul has a point. Sweep the heartland. How long can it take? Make sure the bastard is dead. The Antarian shook his little head. He can do nothing. Let him freeze on this planet. Serban, said one of the tiny creatures. The SS vessel. It is nearing the system. Rafik exposed his packed green teeth. You may get your sweep, Bragg. Apparently the opportunity is upon us. We may end up attacking Ataris with two ESS vessels. Revac and implement, said Saul. Yes, revac and implement. Bragg let the Antarians pilot the SAV. He sat back and studied the combination of loose flesh and advanced Polonis circuitry across Saul's cheek and neck. Even the Antarians were easier to stomach than this Cyvac. Selling out to the Antarians never bothered him. His portion of the aria was safely hidden, even from the Antarians. Once command territory was revacked, he would use the aria to purchase land and position within the new power structure. But associating with and working with Saul annoyed him. Saul's voice was strewn with energized emotion, and his thinking was one-dimensional. The Antarian was brilliant and could orchestrate a campaign against command territory. Bragg despised Galactic Command's rigid regulations and scorning of his ideas. Revacking the Sigma Taurus population and use of the ESS ships would result in accumulating power aimed directly at Command. Fire these tracks, I must, said Saul from the portal. I don't care what you do, Saul Vane, said Bragg as he stood and chuckled. Saul, my name is. Right. Just remember, firing Drax takes training. Fool you are. Watch yourself there, dummy. Saul produced his lead-propelled sidearm fully loaded with an ammunition clip. Implement the directive must be. Bragg shook his head at Saul's stupidity. Frankly, I'd like to get back to wine, woman, and song. Revac and implement. Bragg smiled. Yeah, right. What happened to Silkowski, Saul? Brilliant guy. I wasn't surprised that they called him in for the Polonis project. Why did he abandon you? The flesh along Saul's face pulsed with faint magenta lace pathways. Ordered out he was, gone and vanished. Against his own directive he went. Why? asked Bragg as he peered over the bay and mountains below. Saul spoke with his mouth turned down and his yellow Cyvac teeth exposed. He, the directive, he failed. Ah, I see. Frankly, he said as Saul banked the SAV sharply right. Hey, steady there, pal. Frankly, I want Ross's ship. I want to sit in his command chair and have his crew take orders from Jack Bragg. Revac and implement. Right. Saul raised his gun and his bloodshot eyes opened wide again. 
Remac and implement. Bragg shook his head as he returned to his seat. Why don't you just shut up? Saul thrust the metal barrel against his neck. Much you risk in the directive you defy. You literal think pit. You know what you can do with your damn directive. I have my own concerns with Ross. River settlement we approach. With Drax dead, they be melted. On a knoll, only a few kilometers from camp, Ross waited with his father, our crew, and a half a dozen sect members. He heard a boom across the valley, but the sleek ESS-27 SAV took him by surprise. Rifak and brag. Not a good strategic move, said the old man as the craft looped over the mountains. Why bother with us? I agree, Dad, said Ross. He shielded his eyes when a heavy concentration of blue drac energy punctured the morning stillness. The river embankment exploded in a spray of dirt and stream. Immediately the river was diverted by a wide crater, and the area was leveled when the fog drifted toward the mountains. Elias, the reaches of mercy, show us, said Arkiv, falling to his knees. A large white cloud rose into the green skies, leaving behind a dissipating smoke trail from the scorched ground beyond the river. He's guessing, said the old man. Ross raised his brows. There was no reason other than pure vengeance that they needed to drag that camp. All the sect members now on their knees faced the former site of the camp. Through the woods, Ross heard petrol engines. Three olive-painted jeeps rounded the frozen road through the trees. Men in heavy army coats and helmets were stuffed inside the jeeps, but he was drawn to a stout man with wavy gray hair in the forward jeep's passenger seat. The brakes squealed and the man thrust a cane into the snow. He stared past Ross into the smoldering camp as he hobbled forward. I am Victor Stokowski. John Ross, Galactic Command. Stokowski's handshake was strong and his hand was calloused. He glanced at Arkov and the others, but he faced Ross. His voice was hardened as his piercing black eyes. What the hell is going on with the drac beams, Commander? Hijacked vessel ESS-27, a disgraced ESS commander, a traitor, I should say, and his Antarian compadres, Doctor. No titles here. My men call me Kov. He leaned on the cane. We are at solid mid-contact with the Antarian, but we didn't know all the details. We do know that Caleb's Aurea made its way to this planet. It's being used to power the revac units. He looked at the old man. Been a long time, John. The old man stepped forward. That's why I'm here, Kov. Sources alerted my office to a decoded transmission mentioning Philip O'Hara. That's all we got out of it, but it was enough to start sifting through the Pegasus Marichelli cells. I'm glad you're here. My mission was to contact my son and arrange an exploratory mission to Scavia Tangle. However, my ship and the ship Commander Ross was in was taken by intense tug drags. Saul used the Aurea for the tug drag beams, said Ross. The old man crossed his arms, with the aid of the Antarian, or Commander Bragg. Saul wanted us to lure another ESS ship here, and then attack Conchu. Silkowski pressed his lips. Ah, yes, of course. He spoke of Sigma Antares for years. Now you're telling me the son of a bitch has the means to do it? Ross stepped forward. Why did you escape the Pegasus Marichelli project? Escaped? O'Hara kidnapped me. With a distant look, his eyes moistened. He has long since lost sight of reality. He revacked thousands here before I knew what happened. 
When I protested, he threw me in a solitary cell. Torture and the rest. I'm sorry, said Ross. Don't be. I'm only glad I finally did escape. He looked toward the old man. You have a legitimate concern, Colonel Ross. A half-demented Cybac like Saul linked up with an Antarian and ESS vessels is a deadly combination. It's sad because the Pegasus Marichelli held great hope for incorporating Polonus intelligence interfacing with a vessel's Polonus cells into a Cybac being. Again he looked at Arkov, still meditating with the others, back at the smoldering camp. He slowly shook his head. The project has been successful, said the old man. Cybac Polonus units are a reality. I wasn't aware of that, said Ross. Silkowski held the old man's wrist briefly. But gentlemen, such advances are meaningless without stopping Saul now. You've just witnessed the brutality. Ross looked at his father. Well, we just have to stop him, doctor. You don't understand. I developed the radical revacking. Within a radius of five kilometers, revacking can be accomplished very efficiently. Why hasn't he used it here? asked the old man. I assume they haven't found it. It's stored under the tug drag facilities in one of the Bay Islands. When operable, is that detectable? asked Ross. It shows up as pulses across frequencies. Planetary problem presents itself from a low-flying aircraft sweeping over the land. He'll reach Sigma Antares and revac the entire population. His father stepped forward. That is disconcerting. I didn't know that. That and portable revac units. This individual will be stopped. Ross gazed across the aqua winter sky. If he takes Conchu, what's to prevent him from attacking Axiom Baroma with a larger fleet? That is exactly what he'll do, said Sokoski, and then he spoke in a low but forceful voice. It would appear that the Antarian's presence only adds to the trouble. They must be stopped and not allowed to add any vessels to their space fleet. Look what he's done to the Elias sect. Arku's eyes were reddened when he stood. Sokoski limped over, using his cane. I am sorry about your encampment, Arku. Now, Sokoski, we do not question the flow of time. We only accept it within the teachings of Elias. And we know we will all meet again on the higher plane. I pledge I will do what I can to stop this revac madman. It's my responsibility. You and your people stay with my men. We'll keep you in protective custody. We only wish the peace we strive for. You'll have it some day, my friend, said Selkowski, putting his hand on Arku's shoulder. Then he turned back to Ross and his father. We have fought a long resistance, but your men are trained officers of galactic command. I will give you logistics, and you will give me tactics. Together, we will remove their shadows off the face of Scabia Tangle. Bringing the disloyal traitor Jack Bragg into this book resolves his disappearance with Raffick during the Nebula planet. The forces around Ross are now converging with Saul controlling the Revac and his second-in-command, Lindy. Ross worries about his family and is still bothered by the old man's indifference and rigid adherence to his duty as a command intelligence officer. Silkowski Named after the father of Russian rocketry, Konstantin Eduardovich Tsiolkovsky may be Ross's only hope as Saul continues his brutal attacks against the people. Some things never change. I'm fitting, still hoping I'm not revacked, 
I'll be back next time for two more action-packed episodes of Reunion from Galactic Command. Same time, same channel. Be there or be square. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fitinbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz.pizzazz.com.